Welcome to Full Prefrontal, the show that exposes the mysteries of executive functions. This show is a collection of conversations about the role of the prefrontal cortex, which impacts your focus, planning, problem solving, emotional balance, and independence. These conversations will introduce mental tools that will empower you to shift your mindset for a successful life. And now, here's your host, Sucheta Kamath. All right. Good morning and welcome back to Full Prefrontal, exposing the mysteries of executive functions. I am here with our host, as always, Sucheta Kamath. Good morning, my friend. Good to be with you, as always. So, all right, help me understand this. So, space travel, the fear of space, and executive functions. How is all this related? Good morning to you, Todd, and good morning, everyone. In my work, I help people to get to know themselves as learners and thinkers. The first step is always hard because addressing a challenge or a weakness or a shortcoming invokes a certain amount of pain of being inadequate. But I like to move away from framing the problem that way. Inadequate assumes that you must bring all that you need with you into this world. I like to think about it as how can I bring out the gifts that lie dormant within me? In my experience, managing executive function challenges boil down to this fundamental question. How do we truly deal with all that which needs to be approached that is unknown? And that's why the talk about space. This exploration, which is the discovery within, is not unique to people in the field of disability or education. Many have pondered over this a lot. For example, it could be something like overwhelming fear of the unseen or unknown of the space. Celebrated poet Nikki Giovanni, once she describes herself a space freak, has once said that we need to quit being afraid of space. She observes that many astronauts came from Appalachian area where they have grown up witnessing the sprawling mountains and open skies. Of course, this is her poetic mind. And she says that they're used to gazing at the stars and dreaming big. It's only after going into space and seeing the curves of the Earth that uh, one is reminded of the vast scope of the universe. And this is really important for us to remember. That's why I'm bringing in this space analogy. Looking at the skies can generate a great sense of fear, but once you go into the space and look down at the earth, everything looks so minor. Another story that comes to my mind is climbing the ladder of success. Corporate success, for example, requires strong rungs built through leadership. Recently, I heard the head of World Bank, Jim Yong Kim, talk about leadership. And instead of talking about leading and coaching others, he was literally talking about his own journey, being coached and being led. Mr. Kim uh, values being coached no matter how high he has risen in his own career. He notices that great athletes like Tiger Woods have coaches so they can learn to take a look at themselves. Mr. Jim Young Kim says that coaching had an enormous impact on the way he works. And not just that coaching is important, but no matter how great one's leadership skills are, people around you will have all kinds of ideas about you and about how you can get better. And I really thought a lot about that comment, that people around you will have all kinds of ideas about how you can get better. And as a leader, he suggests that one must be open to such process with certain kind of humility. So I wanted to present this scope of taking a look at oneself from a perspective of space or perspective of leadership development. But we are talking about children in this segment. So I will bring our attention back to executive function. So changing mind about oneself and looking at oneself from the bird's eye view is a really important 
step into developing executive function. As much as a leader needs to change his own mind or his own skill set, the kids need to do the same. We need to help kids take an aerial perspective on self. And just by looking at the beauty of the stars and the planet, one feels humbled. Kids can develop this perspective to feel that their challenges are minuscule and completely manageable. We need strong executive function to control our attention, output, and attitude. We draw upon executive function that are essential for goal-directed problem-solving, and self-improvement is one such problem-solving, the way I see it. And at the heart of self-improvement is finessing executive function. And those who unlock the secret of personal potential through introspection, self-observation, and patience are really the ones who succeed the most. And this can have a true transformative impact on one's ability to be productive, efficient, and more importantly, to achieve peace. So guess what, Todd? Today, my guest, Lynn Melser, is going to talk about things like paying attention, resisting distractions, becoming self-aware, and flexibly considering alternative viewpoints for that self-improvement and, in effect, improving executive function. Here's a little background about this highly accomplished and incredibly talented professional that I have had a pleasure to know. Dr. Lynn Melsa is the president and director of research and the director of assessment at the Research Institute for Learning and Development in Lexington, Massachusetts. She is a fellow and past president of the prestigious International Academy for Research in Learning Disabilities. Her 35 years of assessment and clinical consultation with children, adolescents, and adults have emphasized the critical importance of a theory-to-practice cycle of knowledge. And this particularly speaks to my heart about her work, this theory-to-practice aspect. Dr. Melser is the founder and chair of the National Learning Differences Conference, which is now uh, in its 32nd year at Harvard Graduate School of Education. She's on the editorial board of a number of prestigious journals. Her recent work, together with her research ILD colleagues, includes books of uh, books for professionals, such as Strategies for Success, and for parents, such as Parent Guide to Hassle-Free Homework. And I will have links on our website for that. She has developed two award-winning interactive software products. One is Brain uh, Cogs and SA Express, which I highly recommend our listeners to explore and take a look into. Lynn has been honored with a number of awards for her outstanding contributions to the field, including Council for Learning Disabilities, Outstanding Research Award in October of 2015. Lynn is one of my favorite researchers, and her work and groundbreaking methods in teaching had a lot of meaningful impact on my work and the way I approach executive function training. So I'm very excited today to have her on the show. Well, I am too, Sucheta. I mean, you are aware. I mean, your comments about space really resonate with me because I think you know that I'm a space geek. After all, I named my company after an Apollo program spacecraft, Intrepid, and I've been thinking about and writing about overcoming fear for most of my career. And so I, what I've come to learn from this show is that to be able to do that, you really have to have strong executive function skills. So this really is going to be a great conversation, Sucheta. I'm really looking forward to it. So let's get to it. Here is Sucheta's conversation with Dr. Lynn Meltzer. Welcome to the show, Lynn. I'm so delighted to have you and our listeners are up for a treat. Let me dive into this uh, very complex and beautiful topic of executive function. Why is executive function suddenly becoming such a hot topic in education? And in modern classrooms, how do executive function challenges show up? 
Well, it's a great question. So as I conceptualize it recently, and especially over the past decade, the pace, the pressure, the expectations across the grades have increased exponentially. And even in the elementary grades, students are now expected to complete really long reading and writing assignments, as well as open-ended projects that involve even online research using the internet. And all these tasks really rely heavily on executive function processes. So students are now expected, and this is now children, adolescents into young adults that are expected to become proficient at note-taking, studying, open-ended tests. And these are all tests that require the simultaneous organization and synthesis of many different processes and many different skills, as well as the mastery of many different digital and print materials. So academic success is now heavily dependent on students' executive function processes, which means in our, in the way we conceptualize it, the ability to plan, the time to organize and prioritize materials and information, to shift approaches flexibly, to problem solve flexibly, to monitor their own progress, and to self, to edit their own work, which is also often part of self-regulation. But these executive function strategies are not taught systematically in school. They're not the focus of the curriculum, and the curriculum now still emphasizes competency and proficiency in the three R's, reading, writing, and arithmetic. So classroom instruction still does not focus on the how of learning, but tends to emphasize the what of learning. And classroom instruction still does not foster students' understanding of how they think and how they learn, or what we call metacognitive awareness. So as a result, there's still a large gap that separates the skills and the strategies that are taught in school from the executive function processes that are needed for success in school and in the workplace, as we all know. When students are required to coordinate these skills that are required for these multi-step projects and multi-step tasks, like complex reading, complex content writing, long-term projects, they often have difficulty what I call sifting and sorting the information, which is really organizing and prioritizing. So for them, if you think about a lot of information coming to the brain through all these different sources, you know, books, multimedia, online sources, kids are sort of reading all this information and then they have to sift and sort and figure what's important, what can I ignore? That information often gets clogged. And with the paradigm that I developed way back in 2007, and it has been published a lot in various, our various books and on our smart, our smart online curriculum, is that of what we call a clogged funnel. So it's a clogged funnel paradigm, which we use to frame out and to explain executive function. So with viewing things as a clogged funnel, kids need to learn how to prioritize, how to organize, how to shift flexibly, how to hold information in working memory and how to edit. And if they do that, that clog gets relieved and the information flows freely. But so many kids get homework assignments and they sit in front of their computers for hours. Their parents think they're doing their homework. They tell their teachers that they were working so hard, and at the end of the day, they have a paragraph that they hand in, and then everyone's flamarked, including the kids, because they don't know why they can't produce. They know they've been working hard, but they're stuck, and they can sit there doing nothing for a while. It's this clogged funnel is the way we sort of explain it. So this is why so many of the students, um, why we think, to answer your question, to say, why does it's becoming such such a hot topic in education because our curriculum is changing and the instruction is not teaching these strategies. So let me just give you, you asked me to give a few examples. So these, these are the kids who might struggle with open-ended tasks because they can't prioritize and organize the steps. 
They have difficulty shifting between the different steps, such as outlining and then composing their written work or computing and then checking their math. They may overfocus on details and ignore the big picture or the major themes, like when they read books, write papers, or they study. They often struggle to take notes or to outline because they can't organize the information conceptually. They lose track of the main ideas. And as we know, outlining and note-taking are not taught in schools. Everyone expects kids to just imbibe these from the atmosphere. And yet, especially with a lot of online material, students really need to learn how to figure out what's important and to take appropriate notes. When we talk about these demands on students in 21st century, you would agree with me that we are also kind of talking about their inability to balance their schoolwork as well as their social life, as well as their household demands. So you're talking about very specific academic abilities which are not taught. So the learning to learn skills are the biggest reason why executive functions have come into play. But they also, I see that their inability to go home and then, you know, balanced way, watch uh, TV shows on Netflix or, you know, spend uh, time texting their friends and then come back to work. So that also, you would agree, constitutes executive function um, uh, emphasis that they need to balance and understand? Absolutely. And that's sort of part of this prioritizing, organizing, planning but that's what we teach kids a lot is how you schedule all these various activities into your lives because academics are, it takes up take up you know something like the, uh, the the largest proportion of their lives in terms of being in school and then having to do homework. But students really need to be able to balance all those various components. And if they can't really plan and schedule and organize, then they they tend to focus on. The fact that they they've just been texted by a friend to come to <laughs> to do something <laughs> uh, that's more fun, and so therefore exactly. um, they move away from the work. And by the way, this these students, I mean, in terms of the academics, and this is effect. This is relates to your question. If if this using this paradigm, our paradigm of this funnel, if they can't unplug the funnel, they have difficulty showing what they know. So what happens is their grades don't reflect their ability, and. They might be working hard and overworking, so they spend more time on working, and then they're labeled by, often by teachers as unmotivated or lazy. Well, once those labels start up being applied, then kids, that affects social self-esteem. That then affects the social, their social relationships often, and these kids often become increasingly frustrated as they enter high, you know, the higher grades. They lose self-confidence, they make less effort in school, and then these are the kids who are at risk for um, dropping out, dropping out or, or uh, drugs, <laughs> substance abuse. There are sort of, you know, major risks associated with these issues Got it. in all levels. And so these are the kids who are going to seek out that, those social supports if they feel like they're unsuccessful because of their academic work. Got it. So you described the scope of executive function using six core areas. Can you share with our listeners your model of understanding executive function? Yes. Well, so in all of our clinical uh, research and teacher training work at our two institutes, at our clinical institute, the Institute for Learning and Development, ILD, the Institute for Learning and Development and Research, ILD, as well as in our books and our SMARTS um, online program, we emphasize six core areas that we feel are important and um, and I'll tell you these very briefly, and then we can go into more depth in a few minutes about some of them. So the first one is metacognitive awareness, which refers to the ability to learn how to learn and to think about how to think. So once students understand their strengths and weaknesses, as well as which strategies match their learning profiles, 
then they're more willing to make the effort to apply these executive function strategies to their schoolwork, their homework, and their home lives because that's when they can balance their academic work with their sports and with their you know, music and art and, and, of course, just hanging out with friends. And I felt strongly that metacognitive awareness is the foundation of active and strategic learning and is a major building block for self-advocacy, which is so important for kids with any kinds of learning and attention um, difficulties, and then on long-term for academic and life success. So we can talk in a little bit more detail about that in a few minutes. So that's the first area, metacognitive awareness. The second is goal setting. And goal setting, as we know, refers to ability to set short-term or long-term goals. But what we emphasize in our work and in our curriculum is that they have to, those goals have to be attainable and doable, is what we call it. So we teach kids how to set doable and achievable goals and to identify the obstacles that can get in the way of reaching their goals. So, for example, a, a student who's, you know, failing in math and then sets a goal of I'm going to get an A, you know, at the end of this quarter when the quarter is two weeks or three weeks away, that is not a doable goal. <laughs> and so it's like, okay, you've More got to adjust this. Yeah, let's be realistic and say you're going to go from failing to maybe hopefully a C and what are the steps you need to take? Well, you need to be scheduling yourself to do your homework, to do your math every single day. Over the weekend, you have to do X amount of time. You know, time. You're going to have to use these strategies for checking your work. Let's identify what your core, what the core issues that are getting in your way, that kind of thing. So that's goal setting. Then the third area is cognitive flexibility, which I feel too. Metacognitive awareness and cognitive flexibility are the two areas that I view as like the core of executive function. So cognitive flexibility is the ability to think flexibly and to shift between different approaches. This is often challenging for students and especially for and for kids and adults, especially those with learning and attention difficulties. So how would that so, look like in a classroom? Can you give uh, our listeners an example? Yes, yeah, so in so in a classroom sort of so many of the activities that that students are getting are involve cognitive flexibility, reading comprehension. Going between the main ideas and the details and back to the main ideas is a, flex, is, a, is a task that requires cognitive flexibility. Understanding and differentiating between concrete and abstract uh, terms, between what's literal and what's symbolic, between major themes and the details. Kids, students need to learn to use context clues in text to estimate answers to word problems. So in math, going back and forth from the computing the problem to figuring out um, what's my estimate, what's my big picture, starting with my estimated answer, then going back to the details, what is my calculated answer, and then going back to, did I, does my answer make sense? We always teach students, kids to go back and say, and ask that big question with their reading, their writing, their math. Like, does my answer make sense? Because that pulls them back to the big picture again. And in a few minutes, we can talk in more detail about cognitive flexibility because we have a particular paradigm that we use to explain that. So that's cognitive flexibility. We've talked about metacognitive awareness as the foundation and then goal setting and cognitive flexibility. So let me mention organizing and prioritizing as the next one. So that's the ability to sift and sort and categorize information, materials, schedules, time, the issue of planning time, which is so challenging for kids. You know, that's where the, the struggles with homework come into play because kids will think that, oh, it's fine if I'm on the phone with my friends on my cell phone and playing on the internet and playing, uh, you know, games. If 
for the next five hours. And if I start my homework at nine o'clock, I should get done. And of course, they've got about five hours of homework. When you refer to prioritization, is that with respect to time, importance or value? or all three of them. That's the way I use those parameters to explain prioritization. How would you relate prioritization to goal setting? It's all of those things. So one kids or young adults, you know, have set a goal, be it a short-term goal about, I want to get a higher grade in math this week, or a long-term goal like, I really want to be on this, on, I want to get into the hockey team, you know, at the end of this quarter. Um, then they have to prioritize. They have to figure out in terms of how they plan their time or where I'm going to allocate my time, how much of my time I'm going to allocate to my homework or my sports or in just chilling out with friends. So they really do interlink all the time at all times. And so does the cognitive flexibility. They have to be flexible because obviously if you can't think flexible and you get over-focused on the details, they're not going to be able to say, well, what's the big picture here? I really wanted my, my overall goal is to get a, you know, do better in my math or my overall goal is to get onto the hockey team. So I'm going to have to shift in terms of what I do. Got it. And by the way, it's organizing and prioritizing, as we know, the big challenge for kids and parents uh, is that kids, students have trouble organizing their binders, their backpacks, their lockers, um, scheduling their homework. So that involves a lot of organizing and prioritizing um, exactly. based on level of, so kids, you know, we, we teach students to, um, best their, to prioritize based on level of importance, which is what you're willing to value. And using charts and graphic organizers to separate them to to basically prioritize main ideas versus details. We also have a fun activity in a smart curriculum called backpack organizing, which <laughs> kids hate backpack organizing their backpacks. So after they do this activity, suddenly it becomes interesting and fun, and they continue doing it. <laughs> we hope. We hope. <laughs> so that's so we've talked about um, those areas. In, then we mentioned two more: working memory and self monitoring. So working memory is probably the most difficult thing to challenging area to understand because it basically, as I call it, juggling information in your mind. So simultaneously manipulating information while at the same time is storing information for short-term periods. So usually mental, mental math, trying to figure out the answer in your head to math problems, that involves a lot of working memory. If a child's sitting in the classroom listening to the teacher, listening to directions, you know, take out your... Book, put your put your pens down. Take out your books. You know, write this. That's working memory. Or um, taking notes in the classroom. There's huge amount. Like it's prioritizing, it's organizing, and shifting, and it's working memory. So you know, waiters in restaurants need to have fantastic working memory skills. Lawyers have to have great. CEOs of large companies, contractors, building companies have to have great. <laughs> exactly. It's like it's it's a core process. And then the final thing is self-monitoring, and that often relates to self-regulation. One can define it more narrowly in terms of finding and fixing your own mistakes, which is what we all the ability to stop and check and then make corrections. And that depends on on students' metacognitive awareness as well as their flexibility. Because to order to check their work or to stop and think about what they've said in, a, say, a social situation where they've been impulsive, they have to be able to shift back and forth from, okay, what's the main idea? What are the themes? Now, what are the details? What have I just done? What should I have done? And so actually in checking their work, we often tell kids to do something simple like just change the color of the pen they use and change pens and colors <laughs> because it gets them to actually physically stop and shift and then move into a different mindset. And that's the same in social situations when kids make, you know, are impulsive. It's like you've got to stop, think, and then reframe. 
so those are the key areas, sort of in summary, as we see them. Metacognitive awareness is a foundation. <clears throat> and then goal setting, cognitive flexibility, organizing and prioritizing, working memory and self-monitoring. So Lynn, how does the attention fit in this picture? Uh, a lot of students that I work with who they, they do not have the best regulation of their attention. They don't, they are highly distractible, but more importantly, they have difficulty knowing what to pay attention to and continuously monitoring what they're paying attention to is important. Mm-hmm. So how do you fit attention in these core six areas? These core areas really interact at all times with attention and emotion emotional regulation. I mean, we see this as all interacting, in fact, like in a cyclical way. So in other words, if a student is having is struggling with, with one of these areas, often that's going to affect their attention, sometimes negatively, because they sort of might, might be, their attention gets pulled in the direction of struggling with, um, you know, a reading task, not being able to focus on Big ideas. They they say so. Thinking of an example, a student who's overfocuses on details is reading and gets totally absorbed in the details and just loses sight of the main idea. The big picture. Yes. Yeah, and the big picture. Their attention gets derailed. I mean, in those directions, and they sort of have trouble then sort of coming back to okay, what do I need to do here? And same. That's when the anxiety starts building up too. So the emotion and attention really do interact with all of these in all of these areas. And with kids with attention problems, as we know, typically have struggle with all of these executive function areas. It's often difficult clinically in the evaluations we do. That's one of the challenges always is to separate out. Is this purely a function of this kid's distractibility, pure attentional issues, distractibility, or that they're in a, able to attend, or are they actually having they or do they have trouble being flexible cognitively or organizing and prioritizing? And they're often very, very closely tied. Got it. So as we come to the end of our discussion, do you mind taking one or two essential components, particularly as you mentioned, the metacognitive awareness and cognitive flexibility are the pillars of the executive process? Can you help our listeners to understand particularly that awareness of awareness and awareness of learning process and awareness of strategy-oriented thinking, how does that impact one's ability to show what you know? Well, as I mentioned, I think the issue of metacognitive awareness is, is learning how to learn and thinking about how you think. And the core of that is helping kids to have a solid understanding of their strengths and weaknesses. Once they, have, they understand what they're good at and what they have really struggled with, then they're more willing to make the effort to master and apply these executive function strategies that they need for so many of the, of the daily academic tasks and, the, and the, the, the assignments that they have to do during schoolwork, during homework. So really, as we see it, this awareness, this metacognitive awareness, influences the willingness to make the effort to use strategies, also influences their willingness to persist with challenging schoolwork Interacts with attention because obviously that's a piece of, of sort of that comes into play here and impacts their performance on, say, open-ended assignments. So when kids are getting long-term projects or studying for tests, it is so open-ended that if that they really need to understand who they are as learners and what strategies really work for them in order to say, well, you know, I need to start developing an outline. I need to use what we call a triple note of a three-column outlining system to to frame out what I want to say. And then I can move into this 
project. And so that's that metacognitive awareness. So we feel right that this is the foundation, a core foundation for strategic learning. It's also the foundation for self-advocacy because if students are having trouble as in a learning situation or even in a social situation, as is the case for kids with learning and attention problems and sort of a range of other issues, as we know, they have to be learned to self-advocate and they have to learn to self-advocate from a fairly early age to get extended time for tests or to to be able to go to a teacher and say, you know, I'm really struggling with this project. Can you give me some more structure? Can I get a rubric from you? Can I? Can you tell me what I need to do for this? Because it's just too open-ended. And yeah, so, so you want to ask for help if you don't know in what ways you're struggling or you won't even know if you are struggling, then you won't uh, go to seek help. Exactly. So with regards to, you'd asked me to sort of dive in more deeply about two areas, metacognitive awareness and cognitive flexibility. So I just wanted to explain our model, our paradigm of cognitive flexibility, because I think it it sort of clarifies so I, I find that a lot of people have better understanding of this um, when we talk about this issue. So as I mentioned, cognitive flexibility is the ability to shift flexibly from the big picture, the key concepts to the details and back. And I really feel like this is the heart of executive function. The paradigm that we've developed to help educators and professionals understand this is a very easy one. If you think about yourself taking a hike to the top of a mountain or view side or even standing at the top, walking at the top of a building, when you reach the top of the mountain and you look down, you have a bird's eye view of the entire panorama spread out below. In other words, you have an overview of the big picture. You don't see any of the details. In contrast, if you think about standing, then hiking down to the bottom of the mountain, when you're standing there, you only see the thousands of leaves in the trees. You often don't even see the individual trees or the tree trunks. So cognitive flexibility is, refer- is the ability to shift back and forth between the big picture seen from the mountaintop and the thousands of details seen from the bottom of the mountain. And you should think about that as the analogy to how kids feel when they're being given all these open-ended projects or That's these very analogy. lengthy written reports. They're often in the weeds. As I say, you're in the leaves. You really need to get out of the leaves and stand at the top of the mountain. So those are the kids whose teachers will say, well, they just, they just oh, don't get to the big theme. It's like, what are they really talking about? And they, they might write five pages, but it's all detail and they don't ex- extract to the, they don't shift to the theme. Then they're the kids who stand at the top of the mountain all the time. Those are often the kids, students with a, or some form of ADD because they're like, they already see the big themes. And they're wonderful. They're great conceptualizers. But then the teachers are always, or the parents are saying, well, can you tell me more? Or can you elaborate? Or so what, what additional? You know, two, a two-line is not enough for a 10-page paper. So there you have to sort of help them to dig deep, to go to the bottom of the mountain and to start sifting. And that's where all of those processes become important because they have to be able to figure out what that's the prioritizing and organizing. How do they take all this information, remove the clutter, remove what's irrelevant and focus on what's critically important for, say, a reading comprehension when they have to read for meaning or when they solve a math problem or where they have to write a paper or do a long-term project. And I think one of the challenges, coming back to your very first question about why these issues, why it's such a hot topic now, is that I think often in schools, teachers think that if they sign a creative project, that that's exactly. wonderful. But creativity is one thing. Giving kids structure is another. And so from the earliest grades now, what's happening is that um, homework assignments are being given that are so open-ended that students are really overwhelmed. 
And so parents, the parents get involved in the family. It's become family project night or family project weekend. I stand on the soccer field with parents who are first graders, and they're so relieved that this weekend we don't have any homework. (laughs) And that, I think, (laughs) is what's going on now. So projects really have to be framed and have to be structured, and students have to be taught these executive function processes. In particular, this cognitive flexibility, as I see, is critically important. That's terrific. Uh, I really love that visual imagery. And I find that I use a very similar imagery. I just uh, say from you're sitting in, at your desk, then you're in a treetop, then you're in a blimp, then you're in a, you know, <laughs> a chopper, yeah. then you're in a plane, and then you're in a satellite. So I said, mm-hmm. you're in a satellite, come down, come down. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly. <laughs> what a terrific way to end, Lynn. And I'm also very excited that you will be talking about how to manage these executive processes in our next segment. So before I conclude this interview, if our listeners want to know more about your work, how can they access that? The best way is to access our website. So we have we actually have three websites, but the, uh, the best ones are uh, our Research ILD website, www.researchild.org. And our SMARTS website, which is where we have our entire SMARTS curriculum, which is an executive function, online executive function curriculum, entire worksheets and and lesson plans and videos. And that's www.smarts-ef.org. So www.smarts-ef.org. That's terrific. And if people have interest in our clinical services and the programs that we are one-on-one work with students, where we do neuropsych assessments and educational therapy and speech and language, that's www.ildlex.org. <laughs> so. And we'll have all these links on our podcast so people can readily and easily access it. And once again, thank you so much, Lynn, for your generosity of time and your talent and sharing your uh, wealth of wisdom. I look forward to speaking to you again. And thank you so much. Thank you so much. Wow, Sucheta, what a fantastic conversation with Dr. Lynn Meltzer about executive functions. I mean, it's very clear to me that being in school these days is just not easy. Students these days are expected to be experts in learning what they have been taught, but they are really not taught how they can persist when they're facing challenges with certain parts of learning, which is learning to learn. And more importantly, they're not taught the aspects such as coordinating multi-step project or preparing for a test that has multiple choice answers. So really, there is no outlining to be presented. You have to get really good at reading comprehension and evaluating the choices or take something like you know, studying for different subjects, which have different emphasis or different ways the information is presented. So tailoring that learning and how to learn that particular content with that particular teacher is never taught. And Lynn was so clear when she explained how that poses to be the most difficult aspect of executive function and 21st century learning. Well, Sucheta, an awful lot to take away from your conversation with Dr. Meltzer. Uh, Lead us off. So what should we take away from this conversation? Yeah, thanks for asking about that. I think she was very clear. But I like to present this information to our listeners who want a more, you know, consolidated version of it. Uh, The first thing I would say, the first takeaway for me is that academic performance in 21st century is dependent on students' self-understanding 
as well as their capacity and ability to plan their time, organize their tasks, and prioritize their ideas. And how flexibly they shift and monitor their progress is really critical. As Lynn explained, they are closely related to six key areas of executive function. And forgive me if I'm repetitious here, but I'm just going to list them. The first one, she says, was metacognitive awareness, which is truly the foundation skill, which is the awareness of how aware you are. The second is uh, setting attainable and achievable goals that are personally relevant. It's really important here that students know or develop that understanding what is unreasonable and what is unrelated to the goal. And if they don't have the goals, then their actions cannot be tested or evaluated for appropriateness or goal-directedness. The third thing she emphasized was shifting between different approaches with great flexibility, like a mental gymnast, so to speak. Why this is essential? Because this helps us or helps the students to avoid over-focusing or losing sight of what matters. The fourth point she emphasized was organizing information, materials, schedules, and prioritizing actions. And that entails not just the superficial aspect of daily life, which is you know, organizing binders, keeping the room neat, or uh, for example, keeping the locker clean, a desk clutter-free, but it's also going into the deeper aspects of managing papers, managing projects, things like that. The fifth point she mentioned was accessing working memory. And this is the mental juggling act. For example, she was talking about listening while taking notes. I find that this is really a behind-the-scenes skill, but very critical in the way it facilitates problem-solving or even simply organization of thought. And the last but not the least was the self-monitoring, which is a self-regulation response. Simply put, I love the way she explained it, it's finding and fixing one's own mistakes. And this takes you back um, to metacognition, which is once you are aware of who you are and how you think, then noticing your mistakes or noticing any gaps in your approach becomes very easy to circle back from mistakes to strategies. So this is really the most critical part. Again, to me, these six elements that she talked about is really the way she frames understanding of executive function. Dr. Meltzer talked about, you've talked about this 21st century education. I mean, Dr. Meltzer and frankly, other guests on this show have talked about that going to school today is a heck of a lot different than when, say, you and I were in school. I mean, comment on that, please. Yes. And I think this is my second takeaway that educators need to recognize that working with open-ended planning tasks is not easy. Each student needs to adapt to the demands that are placed on, on them, but the educators need to help facilitate how to adapt. And this is very tricky because we have always assumed that if I tell you, hey, clean up the kitchen, you will know the steps that go into the cleaning up. And when you don't clean up, my interpretation is you knew the steps, but you had no regard for my command or request. And this is a, the, a misnomer that the educators need to kind of circumvent. As part of the classroom curriculum across the grade levels, educators need to do two things. One is to promote a metacognitive awareness that uh, includes like flexible thinking. And second is to teach executive function strategies explicitly and directly to the students. And I thought that's really a powerful message that I have been talking throughout my career to all the educators that I have been interacting with and coaching and training. But this is a nice statement given by expert like Lynn. And assigning projects is a popular method, for example, to promote deeper understanding of a topic. But most students turn their attention to the internet, for example, when they're searching. Internet, however, 
rarely allows access to all kinds of information, but ultimately the student needs to know ways to formulate cohesive understanding by systematically decluttering that information into a well-formulated thought. And this is an example I wanted to share with our audience that this is an open-ended task and it's not easy. So if the student needs help, and the help always comes in a form of helping to get through that project. It never comes as a helping to develop skills related to managing anything that is as open-ended as that. Well, what's becoming very apparent to me is that learning how one actually learns is critically important here. And it seems to me it's a real shame that that's not taught. Yes, and this is exactly what uh, the third takeaway that Lynn wants us to have from her, uh, the conversations we have had about this, that when education shifts from mere learning to learning how to learn, things become less transparent for many students. And there is a high chance that such successful students will get lost while learning, uh, or even they might get turned off by these experiences. And this can block curiosity and create aversion for challenges. But finally, such students could potentially begin to doubt their capacity as learners. And this is the shame that you're talking about. We cannot let that happen as educators and champions for our next generation. If the students do not find any personal connection to new learning or teachers who introduce new learning, they could possibly get labeled as in trouble or troublemakers. And it is likely that they are far less encouraged than their independent and self-driven peers. And finally, I just want to emphasize my personal belief that Students' attitudes and participation in their learning experience feeds into the way they approach the coaching or help. And such students who are have been discouraged or turned off are likely to be risk-aversive and coaching or receiving help appears to them as a big risk. And so Lynn emphasized that the teacher should encourage students to shift their mindset and think flexibly as they approach the academic work. And that flexibility does include thinking flexibly about problems that they're facing. Gosh, well, you just made me think about something that you talked about much earlier in the episode about how about coaching and how athletes like Tiger Woods benefit from coaching. I mean, I've observed students who see their coach as the enemy, as a disciplinarian, as, as someone who's not a friend. And I've seen students and athletes look at a coach as an extraordinarily valued partner. And, and I'm beginning to understand how that dynamic happens. So that's quite, quite fascinating. All right. Well, that's all the time we have for today. And great conversation with Dr. Lynn Meltzer. On behalf of our hosts, Jada Kamath, and all of us at Cerebral Matters, thank you for tuning in and listening. And we look forward to seeing you next week on Full Prefrontal. Thank you for listening to Full Prefrontal, exposing the mysteries of executive functions. To contact our host, Sucheta Kamath, and learn more about her work on improving executive functions, visit her website at CerebralMatters.com. That's CerebralMatters.com. Tune in next week for the next informative episode of Full Prefrontal.